Okay, let's get straight to business here. Um, we are in a series on the kingdom of God, Jesus and the kingdom from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this morning, we're just, just reading the first uh, <clears throat> six verses here of our text. This comes from what's called the Sermon on the Plain in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said, or as Luke says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are now full, for you shall be hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The word of the Lord. Father, we pray you pour your spirit upon us, help us to understand these words of Jesus that are so countercultural, that are so difficult. Um, may we not spiritualize them away, may we understand them as he intended them, um, as good news of your kingdom in our lives. In his name we pray, amen. All of us are discipled into a kingdom whether we realize it or not. There's a story about a man that I read named Jamal who uh, was in prison for dealing drugs, and he was about to get out of prison. And in prison, um, one of the ministry leaders that worked with, with, with men like him um, approached Jamal, and he asked him. He said, how can someone like myself or a volunteer or a church on the outside help you most when you get out. And uh, Jamal's response uh, was this. He says, no matter what anyone tells you in here, we are all invited to and discipled in the game. Whatever that game happened to be. For, some, for me, someone took me aside and, and said, here's how you grow it. Here's how you cut it like this. You take it to these places. You sell it for this price. Then you will get the car and the money and the girls. Oh, and keep me posted on how it's going. There was a process and a goal and someone to disciple and keep me accountable. So what I need is for someone to disciple me, not in the game, but in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we all are disciples of some game. We all belong to some kingdom. The question is, what's the game? What's the kingdom? To whom are you being discipled? Every kingdom has a vision for what it means to get ahead. The right title for this sermon is Getting Ahead in the Kingdom of God. Every kingdom has a vision for what it means to get ahead, what it means to flourish, what it means to be uh, to be um, successful, and true disciples are those who flourish. They're the ones who get ahead in the kingdom, right? The question is, 
What does flourishing and getting ahead look like in the kingdom of God? What does it look like? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? Uh, The Sermon on the Plain, as it's called in Luke, is Jesus' most comprehensive teaching about what it means uh, to get ahead and to live in the kingdom of God. And what he does in this first part, in this first opening of blessings and woes, or beatitudes and woes, is he, he, he gives us uh, two contrasting visions of what it means to get ahead, what it means to flourish and to succeed. And I, as we come to this text, I want to give you a little bit of a context, because context is key. When you hear a sermon, it's helpful to to think about the context in which it is preached into. And so Jesus, just prior to this address, he was up on a mountainside uh, praying through the night, and he calls uh, 12 disciples to himself. He, He chooses 12 men to be his disciples. And then he comes down the mountainside with his disciples um, to a level place, to a plain. And waiting for him there is a whole multitude of people that are sick and poor and demon-possessed, and they're all coming, and they, wanna, they want Jesus. They want to touch Jesus. And uh, Luke tells us, actually, that, that there was power that was going out of Jesus, and everyone was healed. And so, you know, all these people have come to Jesus. Jesus' ministry has already been going. His name has sort of spread across the countryside. So everybody with various, whatever the condition, are coming to him. And you can imagine it's not like Santa Claus at the mall where everybody sits and waits in a nice line to have their turn with Santa. No, like you can imagine just everybody is just pushing and crowding around Jesus to just touch him because power is going out of him. And so you're his disciples and you're standing between Jesus and the crowds, and they're all pushing in through, and you can imagine just how shocking this was to them. You know, up on the mountainside, they have Jesus all to themselves, and they come down, and all of a sudden, they're in between Jesus and this crowd of just, of endless, impossible need, which, as an aside, is a beautiful picture of what it means to be the church in the world. Between Jesus, the one who has power to heal and to save, and a world that is needy, and wants to touch Jesus. That's the church. And so Jesus sees this perfect teaching moment, perfect teaching opportunity here. And it says, according to Luke, Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples. Now, there's likely hundreds of people, likely maybe even thousands or more. And Luke really wants us to know that Jesus is, in particular, he is talking and speaking to his own disciples and all those who would be disciples of him. And he says this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is a kingdom. And what Jesus goes on to do is he uh, goes on to paint a picture of a kingdom that is unlike any kingdom that we've ever seen. It, pr- truly, it is an inverted kingdom. It is an upside-down world. It is a kingdom that... Re- what Jesus is doing in this sermon is he's completely redefining how the world works. Down is up, and up is down. It's not a place that belongs to the rich, to the powerful, but to the poor and the powerless. It's, it's not for people who are, have full bellies and uh, stocked cupboards, but it's a place for people who are hungry. It's not a place for those who are always laughing and having a good time and um, crossing off all the things on their bucket list, but it's those who, who weep and who mourn 
and experience deep sadness. It's not to those who are highly esteemed socially and uh, looked to as experts, but in the words of the, you know, there's probably a few who know the Simon Garfunkel song, Blessed. It's for the sat upon, the spat upon, and the ratted upon. That's who the kingdom is for. And so Jesus, what he does is he just completely overturns the value systems of this world, turns everything inside out. Now, I want you to reflect on a minute for what it means for kingdom to function in your lives. Because as I said at the beginning, everybody, we all are discipled in a kingdom. We all belong to a kingdom. Every kingdom, there's a kingdom in all of our lives. And I think when we think about the kingdom of God, it's helpful to step back and think, well, what are the kingdoms I'm living in? When you think about a kingdom, usually a kingdom is made up of five things. Every kingdom has authorities, right? Has rulers. These are the people who tend to, um, you know, have a lot of wealth, a lot of power. They have control of the messaging. In the day of Jesus, uh, the rulers and authorities were, it's really Rome, and then so Caesar, but all the different people that Caesar installed, like Pilate and King Herod, but also uh, the rulers in, of the religious and cultural life of Israel were the scribes and the Pharisees, those who ran the temple. Every kingdom has rulers and authority, and every kingdom, this is the second piece, every kingdom has a game. And by game, what I mean is like an economy, but that's what an economy is. It's a game, right? It's a system of exchange by which you kind of enter in, and there's reciprocity, there's give and take, and every game has something you're trying to get, you're trying to win, right? So money, recognition, wealth, uh, community, whatever it is, right? Every kingdom has a game, and every kingdom that has a game is ordered by rules, right? When you play, you play a game, there's rules. Every economy has rules. Um, and generally, the people who are in power are the ones who kind of determine the rules and write the rules, but to be sure, it's usually players that enforce the rules. If you guys play board games, you know <laughs> the players enforce the rules, right? We kind of accept them, and we live according to the rules. So there's authorities, there's a game, there's rules, but there's players, right? Every game has players, every kingdom has players. And generally, in every kingdom, there's two kinds of players, just like in every game. There's winners and there's losers, right? If you know how to play the game well, you're a winner, right? If you don't know how to play the game well, you're a loser. And, uh, you know, usually we're, we're always sort of trying to find ourselves in that. Some people are just losers from the start. They can't even, they can't even begin to play the game, right? And then finally... There's authorities, there's a game, there's rules, there's players that are winners and losers, and there's values. Every kingdom is set upon a number of values. And the values usually are closely identified by what we consider getting ahead or flourishing. And so what Jesus says is actually, all the values of the kingdoms that we participate in are generally fall under the category that Jesus calls woes. Wealth, stability, <clears throat> enjoying life, having fun, being happy, and respect, recognition, being well-liked. Th those are the almost universal goals or goods or values of all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus, he just turns it on its head. And so I want you to consider a minute the kingdoms that you belong to. 
There's all kinds of kingdoms. Who are the authorities? Who are the power brokers? What's the game? What's the game? Who, who are the players? Who are the people in the game that you're playing that are winners and losers? Um, and what are the values? What are the values of that kingdom? And so what you have here with Jesus is he, it's like he steps up to the world. It's like a table. And on the table are set all the board games, right? All the kingdoms, right? Um, you know, imagine whatever your board game is, Monopoly or Settlers of Catan, and you have them all nicely arranged, and you have your cards with the rules on the back, and you've got your paper money and your figures, and Jesus, he takes the table and he just flips it over, and all your paper money is flying around, and the figures are flying to the ground, and all the card rules are just, you know, all mixed up around. That's what he's doing right here. He's just taking all the king's word, he's just flipping it over. He's flipping it over. The most radical thing that Jesus does in this sermon, and really it's in, in his whole ministry, is he fundamentally redefines the conditions for success and flourishing in life. Fundamentally redefines what it means to get ahead. Because getting ahead in the kingdom of God looks like falling behind in every other kingdom. Getting ahead in the kingdom of God looks like falling behind in every other situation and context. And so what Jesus is saying here is that the, the conditions, the starting place for success in the kingdom of God is poverty, hunger, deep sadness, persecution, marginalization. These are the conditions that lead to true flourishing and getting ahead. And actually, if you're wealthy... If you're comfortable, if everybody likes you, if you're having a lot of fun in life, woe is you. Why? You are at a distinct disadvantage, economically speaking, for getting ahead in the kingdom of God. And you need to be concerned. Now, this is a difficult and dangerous text for a wealthy, well-fed, well-respected church that's happy, which is our church. It's a very dangerous text. And the question is, well, what is the right application of Jesus' message here? Is it a call to social and political revolution? Should we go to the barricades? Many people have read the text this way. And to be honest, I actually, I honestly was, I, you know, Luke's a long book. There's a lot of things I could preach on. This is not one of the texts that I wanted to preach on. I honestly wanted to skip it precisely because of how hard it is for us to hear in our particular context. I think mean, we much prefer Matthew's gospel, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Because then we can spiritualize, and then we can sort of make more sense of it. Uh, but the spirit was like, no, you have to preach this text. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to preach this text. You know, I think part of understanding here is, is that one, and, and part, this is part of, you know, what Matthew says about being poor in spirit and what Luke says, it's not all that different. They're really saying the same thing. This is, you can't spiritualize away Matthew, just like you can't spiritualize this away. But it does, it says more than just about material economic conditions here. So what's going on, right? Is, is Luke, is Jesus really saying that something like, when we read this text in here, it was like, well, is he just saying like the poor people are morally superior to, to rich people? 
or that there's something inherently wrong or immoral about having money and having a full stomach and enjoying life? Is there something wrong here? Well, yes and no, and maybe, not exactly. <laughs> now, this is, a, this is an aside. I have to say this, though, as I preach this text. Otherwise, I don't think... Um, the gospel, and this is what you see in the, Luke, in the gospel of Luke especially, but you see it in all the gospels. The gospel calls us to places of actual poverty. I mean, that's the thing you see in the ministry of Jesus. He is, by and large, he is going to places of actual poverty, or poverty is coming to him. He is going towards it. He is moving towards it. He is not moving away from it. And I think one of the, one of the applications of this text, and it's a whole sermon on its own, is this, is that uh, ministry to the poor is never an optional ministry in the life of the church. I don't care what or where, ever. It's never an option. It is a command. <laughs> we always are called to minister to the poor. Now, there's a whole sermon there. But, I mean, again, I mean, I, God in his providence arranged this text and the, the, um, Kevin and Jazz and the ministry of kingdom prep because that is the vision, right? We're going to go to the place where there's the most brokenness and poverty and hopelessness, and we're going to preach the gospel there. That, it doesn't, there's not a better illustration for this than kingdom prep. But what is Jesus' primary teaching here, that it, as applies to all of us, be, beyond simply caring for the poor? And I believe it's this. Entry into the kingdom of God requires us to reckon with our true poverty. Now, when Jesus um, redefines the conditions for flourishing here, he's not, he's not engaged in a kind of game of, of class warfare, right? Um, he's not saying that poor people are morally superior and rich people are inherently uh, wicked. I mean, you read the Gospels carefully, you see there are a lot of poor people that do not make it into the kingdom of heaven. And you see rich people that do make it into the kingdom of heaven. But, but, there, but here's the thing. Most of the time... When the gospel goes to the poor, the poor receive it, <laughs> at least, least, least in the gospels. And when the gospel goes to the rich and the wealthy and the, those with authority and who are comfortable, they take a pass. <laughs> and this is the pattern you see throughout history and mission history, is the gospel really is really good news for people who are actually poor, people who actually are marginal, who are hungry. The gospel is truly good news. And often the hardest places... The hardest ground for the gospel in the world are the wealthy nations, wealthy contexts. It's very hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's important, too, because we, uh, as we read this text, Jesus says in a special way that God is, is present in places of poverty and hunger and sadness and rejection. And Jesus isn't trying to redefine and say, actually, no, being poor and being sad and and um, being hungry is like the ideal and that we should get rid of all of our riches or, or seek these things out. But no, what he's saying is this, is that, friends, do not interpret your poverty, your brokenness, your deep sadness, your, your social ostracization or rejection as God's curse. See, in, in the Old Testament, and, and this is so true in the world today, even this, like we often have a prosperity gospel way of thinking, which is that, it's a sign of God's blessing if I'm wealthy and I'm happy and things are going well. 
you know, that's a sign that God is with me. And Jesus just flips it upside down and says, actually, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. You should be on warning. So what does Jesus mean if this is not just spiritual metaphor? Last week, I preached on Jesus' rejection in Nazareth and his hometown. And one of the points I was making is that if Jesus is rejected in his own hometown, what that means is there's no hometown for the gospel. There's no place in the world that is hospitable and open and that's somehow in a better place culturally or nationally. There's no natives to the gospel in the kingdom. But there's a difference here. When it comes to the material conditions of our life, and that's all the things that we've been talking about, wealth and and comfort, and security, and being well-liked. When it comes to those things, though, there is a difference. Because <laughs> when you're poor, really poor, when you're broken, when you're needy, when you're living on the margins or on the edge, there is a way in which you, the soil there, is tilled to receive the gospel. The kind of soil in which the gospel is most likely to flourish is a soil that has been tilled by poverty and brokenness and deep sadness and rejection. And when we are rich and well-fed and having fun in life, it's very hard for us to hear the gospel and to accept the gospel. Because here's the thing, it's like when, when your life is in order, <laughs> when everything's going well, there's a way, whether you, you don't even realize you're doing this, but you think of yourself as a pretty good person. It's like, how could I be a bad person? Like, I got a roof, I've got a family, I make good money, you know, I'm doing these good things. How could I be bad? And you don't sense your deep, deep poverty and need for the Lord. Someone recently shared a story with me of how they became a Christian. Um, they were exposed to the faith their whole life but went their own way, never embraced it. Became a, became a Christian in prison. And uh, this person, as they shared how they became a Christian in prison, they, they, they said something like, I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy, you know, that becomes a Christian in prison, but I did it, right? Because it's almost like a cliche, right? Everything goes out, the bottom falls out, and you become a Christian. And it was almost like embarrassed that he became a Christian in, in, in prison, you know, it would have been almost better, like, if, if, you know, when I was young and the gospel was offered to me, I received and embraced it, and that was better. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. That's how it works. That's how it works. You have nothing to be embarrassed of, because we have to be made poor. We have to be broken to enter the kingdom. It is at our lowest, our weakest, our most miserable, our most physically vulnerable, that the gospel is at its greatest, when it is the most good news. And when we have our lives in order, when everything's going well, we're in control, it's very hard for us to sense the, 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 the actual deep need of the gospel. The reality is this, is that most of us, and I'm not, don't take away from the sermon that you, really, you have to go to prison or you have to do something really bad or in order to become a Christian and genuinely enter the kingdom, but, but there is something and this is the radical nature of Christianity that says that, you know what, our, 
our spiritual relationship with God is so bound up with the physical realities of our life. And we are sinners and we're away from God, but when everything in our life is going well and our lives are well-ordered and maintained, it is so hard for us, deep in our spirits, to know how deeply broken we are and how much we need God. And so the Lord sends our way things that break us. He lets us sometimes taste the emptiness, <laughs> the deep emptiness of all the kingdoms of the world. And he gives us an appetite for his kingdom. See, our, our hearts are so hardwired to um, being disciples of the kingdoms of this world in which to be a part of the kingdoms of the world, to get along, to succeed, you, you have to bring something to the table, right? You, you have to play the game. You've got to have game. <laughs> but the kingdom of God is, says that um, there's no entrance to the kingdom of God uh, until you realize you don't have game. <laughs> you don't have any game left. There is no game. And it's only when we lose in all the kingdoms of this world and the deep sense of our hearts that we're ready to receive and win the kingdom of God or to inherit it. And that's the paradox of the kingdom, that failure in all the other kingdoms of the world makes us ready to succeed and get ahead in the kingdom of God. Because then you enter the kingdom and you realize you don't bring your game. What you bring is nothing. Empty hands, poor, broken, hungry, dejected. And that's when you win. <laughs> and you enter by grace and by mercy. And the Lord then gives you the kingdom. He satisfies your desires. He causes us to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, this is precisely the place where true freedom in the world begins to take root and develop. One of the conditions of losing <laughs> in the kingdoms of this world, is that you have been liberated from the game. You've been liberated from the game. The kingdom of God is not a game. You've been liberated. The game of career, the game of wealth, the game of just climbing a social ladder, whatever the game is that you've been drawn into, you've been set free of it. And you don't have to keep playing that game. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, we all are, in a sense, play the game. We're all part of an economy. We all have, you know, have to work and we have to do all these various things. I'm not saying that the gospel and the kingdom takes you out of the world, but what it does is it gives you freedom in the world as you play the games where you're not in bondage to them. They no longer hold your future and your destiny in their hands. They no longer define your life in an ultimate way. And what happens is when we get liberated from the games of this kingdom, it opens up a door, a doorway, in which you can come into the world and you can live as somebody who is free, and you can live differently. And the thing that Jesus will go on to talk about, and which we'll pick up next week, is that it opens us up to a life of radical love. When you've been liberated from the game, that's when you really begin to love. <laughs> love God and love your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the good news of the kingdom. 
And I do pray that we would all be liberated from the game, from kingdoms of this world, not living in them, Lord, and living amongst um, your creation, but from the spiritual bondage that all of those kingdoms um, place upon our backs and our shoulders. I pray today that if anybody here is in a place of true material brokenness, deep sadness, uh, feeling rejected or put out, that they would sense the, the greatness of the gospel and the goodness of the gospel as good news for them. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.